0: The holiday season is among the busiest times of the year, and how could it not be? With presents to buy, cookies to bake, and parties to host or attend, what should be a time of peaceful reflection and joyful family fun can quickly be lost in a whirlwind of chaos, which, if left unchecked, can distract us from its true meaning or, even worse, remove it altogether. Join the Speaking Forum podcast for a time of humor, song, and reflection as we center our focus on the Christ of Christmas. Like the halls with bows of pot.
1: In the hustle and bustle of the season, it can be easy to forget that the Christmas season is a celebration of God coming to be with mankind and living among them to show them the way and offer them redemption. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah 7, verse 14. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The words and the music of O Come O Come Emmanuel developed separately. The Latin text is first documented in Germany in 1710, whereas the tune most familiar is in the English speaking world, and has its origins in 15th century France. O come, o come Emmanuel.
0: To the He did, in fact, come, and now we are going to have a reading about that from Luke chapter 2.
1: And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea,
2: but you will be very familiar with parts of the story that I'm about to relate. I grew up in Bethlehem, also known as the City of David. I married a fine man from here in town and lived a fairly obscure life. I didn't mind. I've always enjoyed the slow, methodical passage of days. I always relished the opportunity to raise my children to love and honor God above all and to serve others with a full heart. I would spend my mornings cooking, baking, and washing clothes. My afternoons were spent chasing my five little ones and trying to keep up with their enormous stores of energy. A never-ending task, I assure you. By the end of the day, I was very tired-a good tired, but still tired. If all went well, I would look forward to getting my children to bed and then spending an hour or so with my husband in our front yard reflecting on the day that is past and looking forward to the day to come. One night, my husband and I had just finished discussing the matters of the day and were just sitting and enjoying the peaceful country evening when a loud voice punctured the silence. We looked around and quickly spotted a large, majestic horse and his rider. It was a Roman soldier. He informed us that by order of Caesar Augustus, all the known world should be taxed. They went on to say that everyone must return to their place of birth my husband simon and i both knew that we could stay at home because we had never left the place where our family came from but we also knew that something like this bethlehem would soon be teeming with many extra people coming to make sure they follow the command of the caesar what does this mean for us well put quite simply many families in our area have guest rooms, and the expectation would be that they would open these guest rooms as inns for travelers. This would be especially important with the amount of people that were preparing to descend upon Bethlehem. A couple weeks later, my husband's distant cousin Joseph showed up at our door. I had heard rumblings that his wife-to-be Mary was pregnant out of wedlock. Many people expected Joseph to walk away, and even he had contemplated it, but she had claimed that God had made her pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph at first resisted this message, but soon claimed God had sent him a message as well. So, despite what others thought, and fully aware of the cost to his reputation, Joseph stuck by Mary. Don't get me wrong, I had always heard that Joseph was a good man. My Simon was also a carpenter, and they would often refer customers to one another. Joseph would even send his customers to Simon if he felt Simon was more skilled in a particular area. I also knew that he was a kind, gentle, and godly man. Nevertheless, I was surprised that he stayed. He had every right to put her away. No one would have thought worse of him, and in fact, most people would have considered it to his credit. When she showed up at our door, I could tell she was very pregnant. I definitely thought she was almost ready to give birth. Joseph explained that they had already been to the home of every other relative he knew and no one would let them in. Simon and I both loved and appreciated Joseph. We wanted to help him, but I'm ashamed to say we almost turned him away. We thought we were exercising tough love, but just as Simon was about to close the door, Joseph made a final plea. It was at that moment that I remembered the small stable on the far end of our property. We agreed to allow Joseph and Mary to stay there as long as we could sneak them back there as quickly as possible. We covered Mary in a large blanket. And while I would like to say it was because we wanted to keep her warm, it was more because we didn't want people to see that we were helping them. I remember that night was exceptionally clear. The stars were very bright. As we entered our stable, our animals were calm and silent. If you were around them every day, you would know how unusual that was. That night, Jesus was born. I wanted to help with the birth, but again I was struggling with how to deal with the situation, which from the outside looking in was an issue of pregnancy resulting from unfaithfulness. Looking back now, I realize how foolish that was. The love and admiration which I saw on the faces of Mary and Joseph that night should have told me that unfaithfulness was not an option for either of them. Simon and I were awake most of the night. We vacillated between feeling justified in what we had done and wishing we had done more. In the early morning hours, there was a knock at the door. When we opened it, there was a group of about eight shepherds standing at the door they proceeded to tell us how the angels had told them that a Savior had been born that night. He had come to bring peace on earth and goodwill toward men. He was in our stable. I don't think we fully understood and accepted this that night, but I do believe that was the beginning of a journey toward the truth. As we watched Jesus grow up in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man, we often contemplated the shepherd's words, Shortly after he began his public ministry, Simon and I both realized that he was indeed the Messiah. I remember how grieved I was when I received word that he had been crucified. Why? It didn't make sense. He had only ever done good. His purpose was to help others and to share with them how God loved them. He rose again the third day, and I soon realized that the payment for sin had been made. Simon and I were quite elderly by this time, but we determined that we would take a cue from the shepherds that visited us so long ago and share with as many people as we could that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had indeed given us peace in our lives and goodwill toward our fellow men. My Simon is gone now, but because of the resurrection, I have confidence that I will see him again. Life can be hard at times. But one day, Jesus is coming back to make everything right once again. What a hope that is. Adam has a hymn story for us.
0: Massachusetts native Edmund Hamilton Sears earned a degree from Harvard Divinity School and was ordained a Unitarian minister in 1839, serving congregations throughout Massachusetts. As UM hymnal editor Carlton Young puts it so well, the hymn's central theme contrasts the scourge of war with the song, of the angels. Peace to God's people on earth. He observes that this is one of the earliest social gospel hymns written in the U.S. Now Sears was co-editor of the monthly religious magazine where most of his hymns were first published. John Julian, editor of the Dictionary of Hymology, an important British reference work at the turn of the twentieth century, offers high praise for Sears's two Christmas hymns, the other being the lesser known Calm on the Listening Ear of Night, calling them some of the best in the English language. Sears, though a Unitarian, wrote in sermons and songs of the Christian life, Although I was educated in the Unitarian denomination, I believe and preach the divinity of Christ. He authored books quite popular in his day, including Athanasia, or Four Gleams of Immortality, and the fourth gospel, The Heart of Christ. It is right that we should joyfully sing Hark the Herald Angels Sing and Joy to the World each Christmas season, But always there are moments when we realize the message of peace has not yet been fully realized on earth. Then we sing it came upon the midnight clear and the power of the incarnation and the message of the gospel touch us even more deeply. all right and there you have it the first week of our christmas celebration here on the speaking for him podcast join us next week for the continuation a lot of fun and singing and more uh, informative readings to come so and join us next week and i hope that your christmas season is off to a great start and as i always say keep serving the best of mass Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gommerson, founder of Speaking For Him, alongside his co-host and executive producer, Adam McNutt. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com speakingforhim and on Twitter at speakingforhim. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.